because you bring such a rich conversation, such a rich voice to conversations, um, who else, you know, I, I just feel like that, that this is meant to be. Mm. Right. Sitting down and having the opportunity to chat about all the things that we're about to chat about. Do you see us? Do you see me having the chance to get into conversation? It's meant to be. This is Do You See Us, a podcast highlighting the authentic voices of creatives. I'm Esquire Johnson. Welcome to another installment of Do You See Us? If you're chilling at home, settle in, grab your favorite food or drink of choice if you like. If you're driving on the road, get the volume just right and try not to bob and weave as much. If you're taking public transit or ride sharing, make sure both sides of your headphones are working, please. You're gonna wanna take in this conversation for sure. Who knows, it might end up being a five-star ride after all. There are moments in our lives where we know we're destined to do something meaningful, to make something great. It's even better when we can not only walk in that truth, but when we can help others realize that truth for themselves. I can safely say that this next creative mind is truly walking in her truth. She is the founder and artistic director of Inika Dance Industries, a certified educator and member of Dance Masters of Canada and Dance Masters of America, the host of Career Buzz, and serves as a producer and host of Turnout Radio. Beautiful people, here is episode three of Do You See Us, featuring Nicole Inika Hamilton. I am so I, I can't tell you how grateful I am that we have this opportunity just to talk. And it's something where for a good minute, I've wanted to pick your brain in terms of understanding how you've become the phenomenal person that you are. And in terms of outside of the accolades, like the impact that you've had within the arts industry within the social sector and to see how ultimately as far as what drives you what motivates you and what actually led you to this path is the reason why it is such uh i guess i'm getting so excited now being able to know that we can actually have this conversation so again thank you so much for making this time available so well, Esquire, you just you just made me just I, I like I, I if I could remember how to do a cartwheel, I would do one right now. You just made me so that what a beautiful way to to open and to share with me. Thank you so much for all of what you just shared. I'm sitting here kind of happy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm very delighted, of course, to be sitting and, and uh, knowing that we now have an opportunity to come together and chat in this way. Yes. Yes, yeah. So thank you for having me. No, for sure. We've been talking about doing this for a good minute. I've asked this question from some of the other people I've interviewed before within our circle. So I'm going to pose this to you. Can you recall your first memory falling in love 
with movement. <laughs> Intentionally, I'm saying this. The first time that you actually fell in love with movement. Oh, wow. Well, the first... So this is my very first time that you're looking for. Yes, very first time. I would have to say that uh, that has to be in witnessing Michael Jackson. It, it has to be for me. And that is my truth. I just, I remember being um, a young girl growing up in Burlington, Ontario. Uh, shout out to Burlington. <laughs> <laughs> and um, getting the opportunity to see Michael Jackson on television with his brothers and watching how they collaborated and communicated through movement was incredible for me as a young girl. Um, I know that my first time falling in love with movement definitely was in those moments of watching him. Watching him, I remember thinking it didn't even feel in the moment like it was pre-planned. There were so many times when Michael Jackson was moving that it felt authentic and real and was, and it was being uh, creatively decided in the moment. It was Michael Jackson. I remember. I remember in the 70s. Oh, in the 70s. So like the off-the-wall time before Thriller. Oh, this is long before long before this is the 70s you know at the this is this is before off the wall this is i remember being a young young kid and thinking wow who is that so what what did that actually do for you in terms of that representation that you saw on screen where you end up seeing as far as again how how phenomenal of a performer michael was within that time um what would you say that actually did for you again growing up in burlington because i can imagine as far as seeing what you saw on that screen was a complete contrast to what you were seeing and correct me if i'm wrong it might have been a dancing time during burlington in the 70s but like what was that what did that actually bring to you was that something in terms of it providing you with that new experience was it something where you saw i want to do that like how 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 did that impact you i would say mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we were dancing in the 70s. There just weren't a lot of people that looked like me um, that I was seeing doing it. And, and sorry, we were dancing in Burlington in the 70s <laughs> when I would look around and in my schools and in my dance classes, I didn't see a lot of individuals that looked like me. So what that did for me was it allowed me to see just how beautiful we really are. We weren't seeing a lot of representation of ourselves in dance spaces. And I'm saying we because I come from uh, a family where all four of us, I'm the oldest of four, and all four of us were taking dance classes and registered in our dance company. And so we were dancing and performing in spaces that were predominantly led by white people, that were predominantly populated by white people. And so what that did for me was it gave me the opportunity to see people who look like us succeeding, people who look like us celebrating movement and community and family, seeing that it was a family together 
you know, moving together, shaking together, singing together. Um, it gave me, even at that young age, uh, it invigorated me. I got excited. I didn't want to miss, uh, as, as the years went by, I didn't want to miss Motown Review. I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to miss anything that Michael Jackson had to be a part of um, because I had the opportunity to see someone who was unique and special and beautiful and who looked like me. Um, even at a young age, it, it allowed me and reminded me that there is something quite special about us that we didn't always have an opportunity to be reminded of when we were in those white spaces. A part of the work that you do as an educator, as a counselor, and especially as an advocate for um, healthy practices and healthy experiences within the arts sector and specifically around dance, I feel that it, if you could tell that that's a foundation within your work. Well, what I, I am often thinking about and I know we've even had these conversations before with other friends is what I want to see replicated, what I want to see centered is love. Mm -hmm. And I remember being young and thinking to myself, I didn't know who Michael Jackson was, but, you know, he radiated this, you know, this, um, this quiet uh, sense of being. He radiated uh, what appeared to be kindness whenever I, I would see him he, he radiated that but what I will say is I didn't know him but where I learned love from first and foremost was from my mother mm -hmm. and so what she taught me and she is also somebody who helped me to fall in love with movement it just so happens that the celebrity <laughs> of MJ right. just happened to have been introduced to me at a very young age but I grew up watching my mom um, you know grab uh, you know her her uh, as she was cooking you know she would grab the spoon and she'd be dancing around and we'd be moving and shaking to Al Green and um, we would be listening to as we were getting older there would be other artists that were introduced to us in, in so many different in so many different ways I think about uh, Luther Vandross and, oh and Diana Ross and Tina Turner uh, uh, and I, I think about uh, as well uh, Lou Rawls. You'll never find. Oh you know my gosh! Yes. You know, Honestly, whatever <laughs> happened to those Sundays where that was absolutely what you heard inside your household, where you know for a fact as soon as you wake up, as breakfast is actually being made, you know for a fact the music is playing right away. Whether it's vinyl, whether it's just something playing on the radio or whatnot, you know for a fact you're going through an anthology of music, oh, and that's yeah. just. So Something that will continue to stay with you. That's I, I remember as far as that time where, yeah, I got to get the vacuum, but at least I'm actually listening to Barris Hammond in the background. At least yes. I have that as a soundtrack for me while I'm getting these crumbs off the floor. That was just like a staple within our families that I feel was so big within our spaces, you know? 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. And so it wasn't only the uh, individuals that we have considered to be dancers who caused me to fall in love with movement. My MJ might have been one of the first, mm -hmm. but it was also my mom who didn't identify as a dancer. Right. My mother was a biology professor. And so I, re but I remember those moments that even though she wouldn't call herself a dancer, I remember her dancing around our living room. And I remember my dad coming into the space and sometimes dancing and moving. And, and so it's in its family as well that have caused me to fall in love with movements because all of these artists and so many more that they would put on that record player and they would let it blast through the living room and the kitchen. I would listen to those tunes and I started to explore movement with my, my parents, with my siblings, started to explore my own movement and sense of being right there in the kitchen. And so, yeah, it wasn't only dancers, so to speak, or a dancer um, who caused that moment of falling in love to happen. It was other individuals as well who, who were just incredible in my journey. Yes, that foundation is absolutely critical. You can tell the difference between conversation just like let's lime Nicole and on air Nicole that you see that there's a precision there and that precision that you give within your dance is the same precision that you actually approach when it comes to your to the shows that you host. It's just it it's very very interesting to see that parallel um in terms of the way that you you navigate within those spaces, you know? I I really appreciate that. And I can honestly tell you, you know, what drives me Esquire, mm. as as corny and as cheesy as this might sound, it's love. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is that because my mom taught me. She is the one who was that first wonderful, beautiful example of it. And so in every single space that I step into, whether it's in a dance studio space or it's behind the microphone, I'm constantly aware of her voice and i'm constantly aware of how i'm approaching humans through conversation and even in dance spaces how am i approaching um what am i sharing what am i uh what is the atmosphere like what is the intention what is the purpose behind things that i'm about to say and do now i am i am for sure not a perfect human but my desire has always been uh, to, to approach all of the above and more from that position of love. And so that tone that you hear when we are chilling out in, in the Zoom space um, with friends or on radio, you're going to hear that consistency of, of hopefully of approaching with a certain level of, of, of care because I really do because the reality is is that I need it mm. I need it there have been moments in my life where I've not had love there have been moments in my life where I was not cared for where I was dashed aside where I was disrespected dumped on the ground there are moments that I've experienced a lack of love and perhaps maybe that's the reason why it drives me so much that word love and so because I've experienced the lack of it at times, it has driven me to ensure that wherever it is, that, that tone that you're hearing, that is what is driving me. How do I bring love into this space? 
So I appreciate you, you saying that. Um, I think about my mom. I can hear her voice. I can hear it even now. Nikki, <laughs> Nikki make sure that you're loving people. Nikki. <laughs> I want to find out from you what the moment was within your creative journey that you recognize for yourself that this is exactly where I want to be when it came to dance, when it came to just being a creative itself. Like, can you recall as far as that moment where you knew that it, this was absolutely where you were going to be, that you wanted to be able to express yourself and be able to propel yourself into this creative aspiration that you set out for yourself? Oh, it was definitely very young. It was still within, you know, the early, the early 70s. I'm a 70s baby. Um, so there are certain marked moments that I can think of. I can think of absolutely watching uh, humans like, you know, wonderful humans like Michael Jackson, but also watching Diana Ross and seeing how she would step on a stage and she would look you in the eye through you know, through that camera, and you literally feel like you're the only person that Diana Ross was singing to. I think about moments like that. I think about the first time I stepped into a dance class, uh, which were, I took disco lessons as a kid. Okay, I, I dive into that. I need to know about that disco. Please, please set the stage for me with this disco class. I was arriving in my bell bottoms and my sister was <laughs> arriving in hers. And we were taking disco classes in Burlington. And I just remember thinking how excited I was. And I knew in that moment, okay, this is what, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. For however long, for the re even as a kid, I knew I'm supposed to be dancing. I am supposed to be doing this, whether it's uh, on a stage or otherwise I'm supposed to. And so the disco lessons, I can't remember because I was so young. I can't remember all of the, you know, some of the, the dynamics around that those classes. But what I do remember is the first moments of joining my first dance company okay. um, officially and being, I, I was young, I was about five years old. And that's to tell you how far back the disco lessons were. I was really young, so mm -hmm. I don't remember. But when we, we joined Burlington Dance Company and that company became a part of my life for many, many, many years, taking classes, recitals, costumes, and competitions, I, I knew, I knew from a very young age, Esquire, that this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it looked, it looked different then than it does now. So at a young age, I, when I thought about this is where I want to be, what I thought about was I'm going to be on stage and I'm going to be performing and, and, you know, at the end of the night, it's going to be exciting and there'll be an audience there. And then, you know, you know, all those things you think about when you think about being, you know, that rock star on stage who brings people together. And, and I had all those moments of thinking everybody lights a candle and we're all swaying back and forth, yes. you, know? <laughs> you know? So when I envisioned myself as, as a young person, envisioning, envisioning myself as a performer, I always thought about the fact that I, I really wanted to be, when I step on stage, it would not be about me per se, it would be about, everybody coming together. That's the part that excited me, the coming together of it. Because I know how I felt when I'd be watching 
artists on stage that I was so passionate about. Those of us who were in the audience, we were swaying back and forth. We were jumping up and down. We were dancing. It was doing things for our spirit. It was an infectious, it was an infectious feeling during that oh, time. Yes. So I knew that's what I wanted to do, but it looked different then. Because now many, many, many years later, the 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 passion and the excitement of being on stage, I still have that. But there are other interests that have been introduced that also live in dance, that also allow me to express myself with regards to dance, like being a radio host, you know? So I didn't think about being a radio host as a, as a young person. I wanted to perform. Yeah, so what made you, so what made you actually want to make that pivot to say, you know what, I'm, I'm enjoying myself within this space. I love being on stage and I love the energy that the shared energy that comes from being there with my fellow dancers, with the audience, with the crowd. And what made you want to say, okay, well, you know what, now I'm actually going to be getting into these conversations as a radio host. And what was that journey like for you to transition into that? It was not planned, my friend. Let me tell you right now. <laughs> it was not planned. There were a couple of different things that happened to me during my journey. And one of them was, uh, I remember I was rehearsing for an event. I was with a dance company that I was with at the time. And I fell. I had a really bad fall. Um, I fractured my ankle. I wasn't able to move in the same way. And uh, I felt very limited as a dancer. And because my body was something that I'd used pretty much my entire life to express the joys, the, the excitement, the frustration, my artistry, my body was what I used. When Now that it was going through this time of change with a fractured ankle, I wasn't able to move in the same way, I became very frustrated. And I had to think about different ways to create but the radio stuff didn't come at that time because there was another moment or shift for me. I had a, a massive surgery um, that I underwent and I was out for, you know, probably about, I would say a few months. And that surgery that I had shifted how I was able to use my body. I, I will never, I will never forget that. And I, I remember that it was, I had fibroids. And the decision that I had made at that point that, you know what, we're going to get them removed. And, and my body uh, was about to undergo surgery. And just my response time and my healing time, it was a lot. So knowing that my body had undergone this, this fracture that was so painful, um, this surgery on my body that was painful and took me time to heal from, I really started to begin to think how I want to create. I'm an artist. I'm an artist. I want to be able to create. So what does that look like for me? Because I am still going to find ways to dance. I just want to know how should I do it from here? So I would just, I remember like, God, teach me, tell me, what should I do? You know, what should I do? Help a sister out. What should I do? And I remember it was a friend who was saying, you know, you've always thought about starting a dance company, so why not now? Why not think about doing that now? 
And I wasn't sure that I wanted to because I kept thinking to myself, all right, I've been a dancer for a very long time. I've managed at other dance companies. I've taught at other dance companies. But knowing that I now would have to do that for my own, the idea of that seemed way too heavy. But Esquire, I jumped in and started the company. And I said, how am I going to market this? So I called up a radio station. And this is where it began. And said, you know, hi, my name is Nicole. <laughs> you know, I'm wondering if you could interview me. I'm starting a new dance company. And I would love to come to your station and be on one of your shows. And they said yes. And when I had my very first interview where I spoke about my dance company, Inica Dance Industries, I remember sitting behind that microphone as a guest. It was not my first radio interview, but it was my first time being interviewed for something that I had created. And I will never forget the joy, that feeling of stepping behind it, hearing my voice coming through the speaker, talking about something that I enjoy, having communication and conversation about art, about dance, and the interviewer at that time who was the late Ted Fox uh, after that discussion and after that show I will never forget that the station manager uh, Ken Stower had said you know you've, you've got a you've got a really great voice you know or and you you know you know the content that you're talking about you know dance I didn't know him and he didn't know me but he asked me you know how long have you been doing this how long have you been in the field and so we sat there talking and they invited me to come back, but this time to be on the other side of the microphone as a guest host. And I said, uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> no, that's, you know, I don't, I am not a radio host. Um, let me think about this. But I thought about it for two seconds. <laughs> I thought, you know what? Give it a try, Nicole. Just jump in. That was about eight years ago, and I've never left the, that radio station. I'm still there to this day. So that is how this happened. I was a guest on a show and the radio station believed in me. They heard something, they saw something that they thought would translate to other people and guests and an audience. And because of the fact that they believed in me, they gave me an opportunity to step behind the microphone and taught me and trained me and gave me classes and informed me, educated me on the tools that I needed to be able to be a radio host that could exercise uh, and share and give. It, it was not the plan, but it was the plan that was supposed to happen for me. And I'm so glad that it did. What would you say is one of the bigger joys of engaging in conversations as a radio host. I mean, you have career buzz, you have turnout radio, two phenomenal shows, and you end up seeing as far as like the aspirations can parallel and they can actually be in their own lanes, um, for lack of a better term. But what would you say in terms of those conversations that you have with the guests that you bring on, what actually fulfills you within these conversations um, that you have it, where that would be different than if you were to be like a regular um, radio host on like more of a commercial um, radio station, for example, because again, it's it's more that talk, that engagement that's there. So what is that joy that you actually get from 
those experiences. I get to talk to people like you. Don't do that. that. Don't do that. (laughs) No, no, we're not. We're we're not. Don't do that. We're not doing that at all. We're not putting that out there. I'm putting this on you. This is what this is what's supposed to happen. Stop this. All right. Rewind. (laughs) Um, Honestly, what what it does for me is I get to hear life stories. I love having conversation with humans. I do. I love talking to people. I want to learn about their history. I want to go beyond the arts that they practice. I want to talk about uh, the, the things that they enjoy. I want to talk about the foods that they enjoy. Let's talk about your family. What's invigorated you? What makes you scared? Um, I want to talk about those first moments when you had your first job. Um, I, it's the stories. It's the life stories for me. That's what what feel. That's what gets me excited, uh, Esquire. When I, I I think about the opera, every single time, I I get to sit down with wonderful people. I enjoy hearing about their life stories. Where are you from? You know, where are you from? What informs your practice? What inspires you? Who inspires you? When have you ever, you know, those moments that you felt broken, the moments that you've experienced loss, the moments that you've climbed a mountain and you, you knew that, you know, you, you were a conqueror. So it's the life stories that are invigorating for me. Just to know that level of comfort, that space that you give for people to express themselves and to seek to understand from a place, once again, that foundational love that you have for people, that is a testament. And admittedly, something that I am working to build towards as well in the conversations that I want to have through this platform too. So yeah, it makes absolute sense (laughs) that that is what drives you, you know? I greatly appreciate that. Look at the single. I got a single tear rolling down my face. (laughs) Pause for dramatic effect. Oh, my gosh. I I really appreciate that. Um, And it's nice to know that that's how it's being received, because it the conversations are what I want to have. And, you know, I'm so aware of something. um, And actually, before I say that, you're already doing it. You, the fact that you and I are even having this conversation, you are already doing it. You are already having conversations that are, are going to inform uh, humans, that are going to uh, invite humans in. You're already doing it, Esquire. And, and it's, it's very exciting when we can archive these conversations. And that's another thing that does excite me about this practice. The fact is, is that years from now, somebody is going to pull up this podcast, pull up this recording right here and say, I remember when Esquire and Nicole sat down and they had a conversation. And that's why I'm saying that, yes, you and I, um, we, we are literally, we are a part of history. We are making history. And you know who really... Um, who recently, you know, I was sitting down and, and we were talking about this and who really was just so powerful in her share surrounding this was, was uh, uh, Tanya Williams from 
Real World Film Festival. Yes. Those who are familiar with Real World Festi Festival, pardon me, the founder, um, and those who uh, may also know Tanya from the Polka Dot Door and the Absolutely. Young and the Restless. Um, and having some very interesting discussions with her around this. And she, she shared, she said, you know, Nicole, you, you are making history. We are making history. And hearing her say that has been a reminder for me that that is exactly what you and I are doing right now. We are making history. Our conversations are being archived. We are telling our stories. We are sharing the significance of our very existence. And so it's quite powerful to know that podcasting gives us and radio gives us the opportunity to literally archive what we are saying right now, because years from now, somebody's going to have access to this conversation. Why do you think for a lot of us, especially within the African Caribbean black community, that it's hard for us to walk in that truth in terms of understanding that what we do right now is groundbreaking, is history making, whether it is whether it is doing what you're doing in radio, whether it is what's happening in podcasting or any other venture that we have, why do you feel, what do you feel actually holds us back from being able to step boldly into that truth of being visionaries, of being innovators and being the change makers, so to speak? I can't speak for everyone, but I can tell you this. In my experience, I think what is, has prevented us at times from from receiving that and walking in it are the dangerous messages that have been taught to us. We have been taught that we are not good enough, that we can't occupy space. Um, as, a, as a young woman of color, that's what I was taught in many spaces. I'm not good enough to occupy certain spaces. And when that continues to keep being driven home, and driven home and driven home that I don't have agency, that my voice does not exist, my voice does not matter, that I am not as important as the white body that sits beside me. As a young human, a young impressionable human, at some point, those messages are, had resonated and caused me to start to wonder where can I sit in society? Where, where do I belong? I'm just so glad that I had, so excited and happy and thrilled that I had a black mama <laughs> who constantly reminded me, even at times when I didn't think I was, who constantly reminded me, you are so beautiful, Nikki. I love you. You are amazing. You are incredible. You are the best thing in the world. You know, I would get on stage tripping over my tap shoes and my mother would come and come after the performance, after I knew I just tripped over my tap shoes and tell me, you were amazing. <laughs> you were fantastic. And so I what I I know that because of the 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 lies, the 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 untruths, the the times that we that I have been told that I wasn't good enough by humans, by white humans, um, the times that those messages were given to me, it didn't permit me a lot of times to accept, receive, and take agency and know that 
I do belong. I do matter. This is my truth. I am fantastic. And so that's one of the things I, I think about the, the, the messages that have been shared that have caused myself and many others to drift from recognizing the truth of our own beautiful existence. Why do you feel that your dance company is the antithesis to that negative stereotypical messaging that you see that you just spoke on? You've done groundbreaking work within IDI. Why is IDI that critical in terms of actually and I love this phrase, controlling that narrative and actually transitioning that to ensure that the excellence and the exuberance that comes from us endures. Well, I can tell you this, the very fact that I exist, the very fact that I as a black woman am running this company, the fact that I am opening the doors and loving on every single body of color that walks in the space, the fact that myself and other individuals that have been employed in that space have done the same. The fact that we are reminding those bodies of color when they walk in that they, there is great possibility, there is hope, there is love. The fact that we are doing all of those things is the reason why. It's, it's got to be love. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, let me say to you, my brother, I know for a fact that my ancestors lived a very different experience. I am my ancestors' dreams realized. The very fact that I exist, the very fact that I exist and I have, with the help of many other incredible, awesome humans, have been able to put this dance company forth, has created space for other young people of color to come in and say, there's a black person leading. I didn't see a lot of that when I was growing up in dance spaces. They can walk in and say, there's a black person leading this space. I see myself represented. I see you, Miss Nicole, and I know that you see me. And so the very fact that I exist and the very fact that IDI exists gives the opportunity for us to literally scream the opposite of those messages. I want to know that every young body, every mature body, every body that comes into the space experiences love and that they experience the opportunity to take up space, to know how incredibly awesome they are, and to know that every negative message that they've been given about their body type, their shape, how they exist and show up in spaces, I want to know that every single one of those messages, that when they walk in this space, an idea that they are reminded, I am who I am, I am love, I am goodness, I am beautiful, I am awesome. I want them to be reminded of those things. And so, yes, IDI is, and, and my intention is that it will always be, until my, until the Lord takes me home, that it will always be a space where it will scream the opposite of those nasty messages, that it will indeed forever and always scream the word love, always. Even now, as much as we try to be in this quote, post-racial society as this post, you know, post intersectional society that we want to be seen as all one race in terms of human race, 
you know for a fact that the barriers are still there. And it's something about not just identifying what those challenges are and making sure that they're acknowledged and honored as far as the hardships that we see in terms of being our best selves in any space. But finding spaces and finding safe spaces to work towards that success that we want to see for ourselves and work towards that ultimate goal of loving ourselves mm. and using art as a representation of that love. You know, mm. it's just it's it's just something about that legacy of love that speaks volumes and the mm. fact alone that that's again another pillar that you have it within your work it's just it's just amazing to experience mm, thank you so much legacy of love those words uh they resonate with me legacy of love you know when i think about legacy and the 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 individuals that i've taught throughout the years i know the power that I have and other teachers have. We have a lot of power. We have the power to influence. We have the power to, uh, to build up. We also have the power to damage. And so as teachers, as leaders, we have a lot of great power. And so when I'm walking into spaces, I, I recognize that with that power, it is increasingly necessary for me personally to ensure that that love that I'm talking about that drives Nicole, that I am imparting it, that I am sharing it through whatever platform it is that I am in, because I realize that it only takes just a couple of words from me to build up a student and get them excited and invigorated and inspired and cause them to smile. But it also takes just a couple of words to damage a student. And I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen to me. I've seen it happen to others where certain leaders will just in a couple of words da cause damage. And so with this power that I know that I've been given and many other leaders have been given, what I recognize is the importance of imparting that love and that care into those humans that I am sharing with, that I'm teaching because that legacy of love that you're talking about, when I leave that with them, guess what they are going to do with it? Hopefully, they would pass it on. They would continue to keep passing it on. Because I can tell you this, Juliet Hamilton, my mother, was an, a, a fantastic biology professor. And I remember going and watching her teach in front of hundreds of students and sitting there and seeing how she would relate to students, how she would talk to them, how she would speak with them. She wouldn't speak at them, but she would share with them. And the love that was there, the care that was there. And I just remember thinking, that's who I wanna be like. That's, that's what I wanna do. And I wanna make sure that it's done with that care. And so there are so many great leaders that have come long before us that have taught us, given us the tools to do what we're doing. How are we utilizing those tools? What are we doing with them? And how are we creating and imparting and sharing? And what are we sharing that is defining the legacy of others? 
And so for me, it's going to be different for everyone. For me, watching Professor Hamilton, Juliet Hamilton, I knew the legacy that I personally wanted to leave. And so legacy of love, that's good. That's good, Esquire. That's a hashtag right there. Legacy of love. That's, that is what I want to leave, a legacy of love. I want to ask you how you would feel young Nicole would respond or react to seeing Nicole Prime, like Optimus Prime, at this point. How do you feel that that young Nicole would react to seeing who you've become? I think she would be proud. Because I, as a, as a young girl, I, there were moments that I dealt with very significant bounce of issues surrounding my self-confidence. And so even if my mother could turn and say, you are so beautiful, if there are moments that I didn't feel it, those feelings would overpower the message that my mother was giving. If there were moments that uh, I was shared in other spaces that I wasn't good enough, but my mother would, sh would share, you are more than good enough. There were times that those negative messages would overpower what Mama Juliet would share. And so I think that young Nicole would look up at Nicole now and say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for looking in the mirror and recognizing, acknowledging and receiving everything that your mother has told you, that our mom has told us. We are beautiful. We are significant. We are incredible. We do have a purpose. We have beautiful intention in this world. We are needed. I think little Nicole, baby Nicole, would be, would be proud. The fact is, is that there are those moments sometimes, you know, as a human being, or sometimes you do step back and you, you, or at least in my case, where I do sometimes doubt, I have doubted myself at times. But yes, then after I've, I've allowed myself to feel or navigate my feelings surrounding that, then I offer myself love. Because I don't want to just give it outwardly, I want to give it inwardly too. So I offer myself love and yes, look in the mirror and remind myself that absolutely, you are all the things that your mom, that your mama, that Juliet Hamilton shared with you, you are all of those things. And to this day, I remind myself very often, I have conversations with myself <laughs> where I do tell myself that, you know what, Nicole, you did it today. You, you are magnificent. You are royalty. You are a treasure. I have conversations with myself because I'm very aware that when I step outside Esquire, there are going to be people who are going to tell me that I am the opposite of that. I'm aware of that. The very fact that I exist is an offense to certain people. The very moment that I get on radio and someone hears my voice and they know that it's a black woman is going to be an offense to some humans. So I have to for my own self-care. And in order to thrive, I have to remind myself of those beautiful messages that mom had shared with me. So that legacy of, of love is continued outwardly, but also inwardly. 
inwardly because there are moments when I question myself, even in my adult, adult years, but I remind myself, all right, you had your moment, you questioned yourself, you even doubted yourself, but here's why you are incredible and why you are needed. So the legacy of love, inward and outward. You can find out more about Nicole Inika Hamilton and Inika Dance Industries at www.inikadance.com. That's I-N-I-C-A dance.com. And check out both of her shows, Career Buzz and Turnout Radio, on CIUT Radio at CIUT.FM. Do You See Us has been produced, mixed, and edited by me, Esquire Johnson. Theme music and original music in this episode provided by Daniel D. Styles Page. Episodes can be found on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and wherever you find your favorite podcast. For more information on this and other episodes, email us at seeuspod at gmail.com and check us out on Instagram at seeuspod. This has been... Esquire Media Production.